Hello, everyone. Rick Thomas here. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. A couple of podcasts ago, I did the article, The Abuse of Abuse is Complicating Legitimate Abuse. One of our supporting members, Lori, wrote in and said it was a very helpful article. We've had other people who have commented very favorably, which I'm very appreciative to, because I know that when you write on abuse from a biblical perspective, it can really cause some adverse reactions with people, and I do understand that. And my point here, my desire is not to be adverse or or to be a problem or thorn in anybody's side, but I do see a problem with this idea of abuse, specifically within the biblical counseling movement. The biblical counseling movement, in some ways, is just in a big mess because there, there are so many competing ideas as our, our culture is just making so many encroachments upon uh, biblical integrity and a true psychology, the study of the soul according to God's Word. And so I've been talking to quite a few people, maybe over a dozen people, for scores of hours, I mean lots of hours, just interviewing people, asking questions all over the country, literally talking about this idea of abuse. And so I started writing about it because I want to speak into it because it's, it is such a big problem, which I, I appreciate Lori commenting and others that have commented that they appreciate this first article that I wrote, The Abuse of Abuse is Complicating Legitimate Abuse. Well, I'm not done yet. I, I want to write more. I have written more. I have a second article here. I'm going to give it to you right now. The title of it, this podcast, Abuse is Not the Best Way to Talk About the Problem with Abuse. And let me say at the top of this podcast that what abuse describes, the reality that abuse describes, I am not arguing, and I'll make that point a couple more times as I move through this podcast. I'm not talking about the reality of what a person is trying to describe, but I'm talking about how we label it. Let me give you the big idea, and then I'll just roll right into the podcast. Whenever we bring words, language, constructs, from the culture, and we wedge them into a biblical paradigm, things become awkward, and emotions tend to erupt. When you take something from out there, in this case I'm talking about words, language, constructs. A construct is a container that's full of ideas and and worldviews and presuppositions. And when you bring the world into the Bible and try to wedge it into the Bible, force it into that framework, it's just going to cause problems. And this problem is what has happened with the word abuse. We have grabbed it from the world, not just grabbed it, but the entire construct, all the accompanying baggage that comes with this word. And what we've done, we've poured it into the Bible and we created this admixture. We have integrated it into a biblical slash cultural way of thinking about a very real problem. Again, I'm not arguing about the problem, but I am arguing about the problem solving that we implement in order to help resolve the problem. Now, it's kind of ironic for those of if you've been listening to me for any length of time, you know that I am not the word police. In fact, I, I chide biblical counselors for being word policey. 
I call it the whack-a-mole effect, where you're standing there with a mallet and the mole pops its head up from the ground and you just hit it over the head as soon as you see it. Biblical counselors can be very word policey. And, and because they don't understand the criticalness of, of allowing a person to have a starting point. They have to start wherever they are. I mean, they can't start where you want them to start. They rarely start where you want them to start. And so you have to be patient and kind and gracious and compassionate with people and let them use their words, their language, their ideas to describe whatever it is they're talking about. And you don't want to be the word police. It's okay to talk like our world. It's okay to use their words in counseling practices, because if you don't do this, your counselee may not understand what in the world you're talking about. When God first regenerated me, I said, hot dog. I didn't know the language. I didn't know you were supposed to say hallelujah. And and my, my church friends, they let me say hot dog. Eventually, they taught me and said, no, the word's hallelujah, and it means something radically different from the word hot dog. And so, I mean, even the name of our company is like that. The, the name of our company is the council, our parent organization is the Counseling Solutions Group. That's not my preferred title because I don't, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the word counseling. It's okay, but the word that I really like is discipleship. But imagine if I called our parent company the Discipleship Solutions Group, <laughs> even though it's more accurate to what we do. The word counseling is what resonates with most of the people, including the Christian culture. And so that's their starting point. And so I acquiesced. I'm not the word police. We call it the Counseling Solutions Group. But here's the thing. We don't let people stay there. When folks come to us for counseling, we don't let them stay there. I like to say it this way. They come to us as counselees and they leave as disciple makers. And so we don't allow them to hang out with their cultural assumptions and, and methods. We begin a deconstructing process uh, in the beginning. As soon as they walk through the door, we start deconstructing their worldviews, their presuppositions, their expectations. But we do not deconstruct them with a harsh attitude. It's wrong to attack a counselee for their cultural or integrated way of thinking about their problems. We're not the word police. And we do understand that their starting point is different from ours. And though we permit them to bring their cultural baggage to a counseling session, we don't embrace their psychology, but we want to begin a careful process of giving them a purer psychology the Bible, the word concerning the soul, psyche logos, the study of the soul, and the best study of the soul is through a biblical lens. Now, the novice counselor, on the other hand, he does play whack-a-mole because he is the word police, and as soon as the counselee says the wrong thing, the counselor hits them over the head with a mallet. They're word police because they don't have the discernment to know the difference between a person's starting point in understanding their problem versus teaching them a purer way to think about and respond to their issues. And so that's one ditch. Don't be the word police. Let them bring their bad words into the counseling session. But then in the other ditch, you have the counselors who are not just okay— with the culture's terminology, they're way okay with it. They don't have a whack-a-mole mallet, but they don't even attempt to change their language. 
they permit the counselee to not only smuggle the word the world's epistemology and presuppositions into the counseling session but what they do is it's a it's like a futile attempt to simultaneously stand in the biblical and cultural camps and that's what these biblical counselors do in the other ditch and they integrate and it never ends well for them or their fan base. Leaven in the lump will not give you the result that you desire. And so biblical counselors must be biblicist without the harsh attitudes that marginalize the importance of what we're trying to communicate. There's no place for anility in this discussion. So you don't want to be anal about it, but still yet you want to be patiently firm in your convictions. If you are not patiently firm in your convictions, you will compromise the integrity of the Word of God, and not just in comp- not just compromise the Word of God, but you will compromise its restorative force. Christianity is such an amalgamated cultural biblical soup that most believers, I believe, they don't even realize how much that it hinders the efforts of helping a, a hurting soul. I want to give you four words that is part of Christian common speak. These are four widely accepted labels. All of these labels, all four of these labels are fraught with problems. And if you don't press these labels, these words, through a biblical filter, it will be virtually impossible to solve the issues that the words or the labels describe. You've heard all four of these words. These are not biblical words, but they're common, uh, Christian common speak. The first one is mental illness. The mind is immaterial, not organic. It cannot be sick, but we use the word mental illness. Now, again, it describes a very real problem, but it's the label, and again, the label sets the trajectory of how you're going to problem solve, and so the word becomes problematic, even though it's describing a a real problem. ADHD, you've heard it a zillion times. The behaviors described by this label are real, But the descriptor, again, sets the trajectory, and part of that trajectory almost always anticipates medication, which is not a solution at all. A third word is race. Racism. This word, it divides people. It's a cultural word. It's not a biblical way to to think about people. The word divides people into groups based on melanin, and that is a setup for self-righteousness and I don't need to comment on that. You know it all all too well. And then the fourth word, which is the topic of this podcast, is the word abuse. This word is a construct. It is a container, a box that holds many ideas, anything from microaggressions to to murder. It is a sloppy word, and I want to talk about that. But I want you to hear, hear this, though. These words attempt to describe real problems. Listen carefully. Sincere people use these words because they see real issues that they want to resolve. Because they are not the right labels, the hope-filled problem solvers can't get to where they want to go. 
Their problem is not realizing this idea, how you label something becomes the platform upon which you will stand to resolve it. Now, just for clarity's sake, let me give you two popular labels that you will recognize immediately. And when you hear these two labels, I want you to notice how the label sets the stage to send you in a clearly defined and specific direction. Here's one label, the word liberal. The word liberal, it is a label that describes something. Now, based on that label, you're going to build a construct with a very well-defined and specific worldview. Here's another label, the word conservative. Immediately, you know that that is a completely different construct that's going to send you in a different, completely different direction. And so the label you use is going to send you down a clearly defined course. And that's why without being the word police, you want to make sure you're patiently firm on your convictions so that we not just label it right, but it does set a biblical trajectory. Words are ways to identify and describe real problems, which is why words matter. For example, going back to my word mental illness, it is a label that points to something wrong with an individual, specifically inside that individual, specifically their soul. The word mental illness points to a problem in a person's soul. But people have adopted the words mental illness to describe what they see, and unfortunately, the label has taken on a life of its own. It, has, it will send you down a very clear path that really moves you away from the Bible. The problem that I'm describing, it's, it's like the problem of the metaphor becoming the reality. You use a metaphor to explain something, and you use the metaphor so much that eventually the, the metaphor becomes the reality. Let me give you an illustration of this. Suppose your child was angry, and you want to describe a very real problem, and you say, oh, he's just barking like a dog. That's a metaphor that you're using to describe a very real problem. But suppose the metaphor becomes the identity, and it becomes the thing. And, and, and after a while, you're not even sure you're describing anger. It's just he's barking like a dog. Are you saying your child barks? Are you saying your child is a dog? Well, of course not. You're describing something by using metaphorical language. Mental illness is an attempt to describe something very real, but if you're not careful, the label takes on a, an identity that you really don't mean. Now, everybody understands this, and we use language this way all the time. Let me give you another example. It's when we talk about the hand of the Lord, which is an anthropomorphism meaning you're using human words to describe a spiritual being. And so a child might hear about the hand of the Lord or the eyes of the Lord. Those are two anthropomorphic expressions. Now, if you don't explain that, they could eventually believe that God has body parts and is not a spirit. And so a careful parent would explain this contour of language and what they mean by the hand of the Lord or the eyes of the Lord. 
the problem in counseling is when we bring in words from the culture and we don't deconstruct or retranslate them with biblical language. After a while, those descriptive words become the new reality. The boy becomes a barking dog. And once the boy becomes a barking dog, you're off the path. You're addressing problems that distract you from helping him with his destructive anger, which was the original problem that you're trying to describe all along. But now that the boy is a barking dog, well, what are we going to do here? We're going to call animal control. Perhaps he needs a rabies shot. Maybe you want to erect an invisible fence so he doesn't bite the neighbors. I'm sure you would change his diet because the puppy chow could be part of the problem. My point is that once the label becomes the new truth, you're on a wild goose chase. That will frustrate you, it will frustrate your child, it'll frustrate your neighbors, it will probably frustrate the other dogs in the neighborhood. The label becomes the entry drug that leads to an expanded and elasticized list of ideas and descriptors and false solutions. And this is the problem that has happened with the word abuse. It's a cultural word. And like all words, they become constructs. They become containers that holds all sorts of ideas that are associated with the cultural label. If you start with a cultural label, you will fill it with all sorts of cultural ideas. If you're a Christian, you will mix biblical thoughts into your new integrated container, and this admixture of the secular and the biblical creates a new worldview, making it difficult for the untrained eye to discern. Mental illness is an excellent illustration of this admixture. We have minds, which the Bible affirms. Mental, we have minds. Our minds are fallen. We have problems in our minds. That's the noetic effect of sin, And then we describe this problem in our minds as an illness, a cultural term. Well, if you keep doing that over and over again, the undiscerning will connect mental illness to a scientific medical model that sends the troubled soul to false solutions. Abuse is another one of those cultural words that many sincere biblical counselors have adopted and brought into their soul care practices. And from that integrated mishmash, they attempt to help people with real problems. You'll never hear me say that what folks are trying to communicate with the word abuse is not accurate. The struggle that they are having is real and sometimes even acute. The issue is how they label and define the problem. Some victims are so beholding to the word abuse that if someone attempts to deconstruct it while giving them a a better label, they will only hear that you're saying their problem is not real. It reminds me of a time I asked a counselee while she was taking medication. She told me she was making uh, taking medication, and I was curious about it, and so I just asked the question, which honestly, it felt like an innocuous question. Why are you taking medication? 
she interpreted my curious question as a person who would take her medication from her, which was the farthest thing from my mind. I had no desire to do that to her. I just wanted to know why she was taking meds. And by the way, she went absolutely off the rails as far as her anger toward me. And she went after me in just a verbally vicious way. She was, you could say she was barking like a dog. Now she eventually calmed down and, and we talked through it and it was great. It was really fantastic, but it was a, a super big note to me that when you talk like this, you really want to be careful that I am not saying that the abuse what you're describing as abuse is not real. I was not saying that I want to take your medication from you. I do, and eventually I did. I gave her a better framework of thinking about her problems. By the way, she eventually went off her medication. But victims of abuse can think similarly. Reframing the problem, which will put you in a better place for restoration, does not imply the problem doesn't exist. You're just reframing it. Only the worst kind of counselor would snatch a person's meds from them or say their reality was false. The problem with the cultural term abuse is that it has come to mean virtually anything. I've heard biblical counselors talk about emotional abuse, verbal abuse, economic abuse, male privilege abuse, etc. And from those labels, points of departure, they fill the constructs with all sorts of ideas, infractions, false solutions. Let's take this idea of emotional abuse. Emotional abuse is like the mental illness problem. The Bible is clear that we have emotions. The Bible never talks about abusing emotions. However, you can have corrupting speech that will impact a person's thought life, which will cause an appropriate emotion to flow from the person's thoughts. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Suppose you walked around the corner and you saw a man standing there with a gun pointed toward your face. According to the emotional abuse model, he is abusing your emotions, which is not true at all. According to the Bible, the man with the firearm causes you, <clears throat> excuse me, the man with the firearm causes you to fear. He, it's your thoughts. And, and based on those thoughts, you emote according to those fears. In this case, there is nothing wrong with your emotions. And the gunman is not abusing them. In the gunman's case, your emotions are a means of grace that affirm what should be going on in your mind, fear. Now, perhaps afterwards you need to meet with a biblical, account, biblical counselor to address any strongholds that create false arguments in your mind which keep you in bondage to fear. And again, some people would call this PTSD. And of course, the point of focus would be your mind, specifically your thought life, not your 
emotions. And your emotions will change to the degree that you change your thoughts. For the record, if, if you want to use cultural language, what I have just described to you with the gunman is, is more like thought abuse. He abused your thoughts. He didn't abuse your emotions. Your emotions just a very normal, clear indicator that your thinking in that moment went into the red line, and, and now you're fearful, and, and your emotions are cooperating with your thoughts, but your thoughts are what were affected. And, of course, it's your thoughts that you would begin to counsel post that traumatic event. The best definition of abuse is sin or unchrist likeness. I asked my friend Daniel Berger to define abuse. I asked him yesterday, as a matter of fact, I said, what's your definition of abuse? And that's what he said. That's part of what he said, sin and unchrist likeness. And I, pre- I prefer the word sin, but I like the word unchrist likeness because it's synonymous with sin, and the redundancy is good. At times, it's helpful to say the same thing a different way, just to make it clearer. Jesus was the master at redundancy. He would say the same thing in two, three, four different ways just to be clear. And so the word sin or the word unchrist likeness, those it's, it's this two different ways of saying the exact same thing. And that was the definition of abuse that Daniel gave me. And that is a, a fantastic way of talking about abuse. And the great news about this succinct definition for abuse is that it includes any transgression. But it gets better than that. Not, not just that sin or unchristlikeness talks about any transgression, but you can parse out these sins into an infinite number of biblical subcategories, which lead to various solutions depending on the subcategory that flows out of this construct of sin or unchristlikeness. For example, let's take sinful communication. You remember what Paul said in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, etc., All right, so let's take sinful communication. Sin is the construct. That's the container. And the specific strand of sin, the the branch or the weed that grows out of that construct is communication, or let's say sins of the tongue. The psychologist or integrated biblical counselor would call it verbal abuse, which is a setup to quickly and easily stray outside biblical parameters. And so you have established the person is sinning, that's the construct, with his or her tongue, and so now that's communication, which is the subcategory or the strand, sinful communication, sins of the tongue. Now perhaps we're talking about anger, which is a part of sinful communication. Now that would move you over to James chapter 4, 1, 2, and 3. And then James moves into a deeper, granular level of this problem, talking about motives and lust and desires, but not just talking about the perpetrator, but he also talks about the effect of sinful communication on the victim. He says it's murder. Do you see how accurate, how clear, how practical the approach is to the sins of the tongue versus this mishmash term of verbal abuse. 
you can you can take any of the integrated abuse terms and counsel anyone more effectively. I'm talking about economic abuse, male privilege abuse, domestic violence. Again, I'm not saying that the realities that these terms point to are untrue. I'm saying the wise biblical counselor will slowly, patiently, compassionately, competently bring any victim of sin into a more biblical way of thinking about what is happening to them. And you can do this without invalidating their reality. We're not playing whack-a-mole here. Word police but you want to bring hope-filled restoration to the victims of sin or the victims of unchrist-likeness while laying out a practical plan of repentance to the perpetrator. How you begin this process will determine where you end. For the biblical counselors, we know the Bible holds the answers for living a godly life. Our job is to help our brothers and sisters to see the purest psychology that there is, which is God's Word applied to our souls. The title of this podcast is, Abuse is Not the Best Way to Talk About the Problem with Abuse. You can read every word that I just shared with you. I also have a dozen or more probably two dozen articles embedded here on ADHD, racism, abuse, mental illness, anger, biblical language, destructive anger, and on and on. And you can just, uh, emotional abuse, thoughts, fears, and you, strongholds, on and on. And you can, you can click on any of these highlighted words in, the, in this article. Uh, you can share it. There's a lot of resources here, and it's all free to you. And we want to dialogue with you. We're a monologue ministry. I just monologued for 30 minutes. We're a dialogue ministry. I want you to jump on our free and and private forums. Private forums are for those who support our ministry. Thank you very much for those of you who do that. But it's not about that primarily. We want to serve you. And so get on our free community forums and ask your questions. And we would love to engage you about this topic. Perhaps you have something else on your mind. It's on you. You let us know. We'll be here. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast.